I just get overwhelmed uh, sometimes with the fact that we come into his presence like this and he just speaks into our hearts and into our lives. What do you think the greatest need is in our world today? It's Jesus. My greatest need is Jesus. He is the source of all life. We need him. I was so blessed to, to, to hear uh, what we're, in the worship and in the words that have been given. Jesus is here with us now. He's alive. And it's not just a saying, he's alive, he's risen. He's here. He's alive, he lives. He is speaking. He's alive in me. His word is alive. Wherever Christ is, there is life. He's no longer dead. And we can know that life as well. I heard someone say yesterday that we come to a meeting like this and when someone speaks, we tend to retain about 10% of what's said. And uh, you can imagine that might be quite disheartening for a, a preacher to understand, you know, 10%. But I believe, and we're going to pray this in a moment, that the 100% of what the Holy Spirit wants to say in your heart will go into your heart and into my heart today. This is what we want, not 10%, not 20%. What is God saying to you, directly to you today? What is Holy Spirit saying in your life and in my life today? I might say a lot of fluff and a lot of things that mean nothing to you, but maybe, just maybe, Holy Spirit is speaking directly into someone else's heart today. So let's just believe for this. Let's just pray now. Let's bow our heads and invite the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives. Let's open ourselves up to him and say, Lord, I want your 100% today. I want what you're saying to me today. So, Lord, we just uh, thank you for your presence with us. We thank you, Lord, that you are here, that you are speaking. And, Lord, we want to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying today. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that receive. Take away the stony heart and give us a heart of flesh today, Lord, to hear what you're saying and to receive and to obey. So, Lord, we open ourselves up now and say, come, Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. Speak into our hearts and do a work in our lives by the powerful word in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. I'm not ashamed of this message that we've been singing about today. Jesus is alive. I was dead in my sins and he came to me and he brought me alive. I don't know about you, but I want to be someone who connects people to the good news of salvation. To warn people about the judgment to come. Now we've been learning about coming alongside others. And as a, as a church. And our key verse for this series of teachings has been this. And it's, uh, I'm quoting from the message version. Uh, it says, he comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it. He brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times so that we 
can be there for, the, for that person, just as God was there for us. I don't see the point in coming alongside somebody else if I'm not filled in with the Holy Spirit, frankly. If I'm not alive in God and God isn't doing a work in my life, what's the point I'm just going to sow deadness into someone else's life? I want to be alive in God. I want to come alongside people with the life of Jesus Christ in me, burning in my heart, knowing the transformation that's taken place in my life. These things that have happened that are real in my life, I put my hand up before because God has healed me physically. And God's healed me in many, many other ways. And there's so many people in this church today who can testify to the goodness and the power of the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives, can't we? Just a very quick recap. We started off this series by uh, talking about caring. And the title was, Who Cares? And we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan, who came alongside the distressed traveller. And then we talked about loving, the feeding of the 5,000, and this culture of loving one another. We talked about journeying, journeying on the Emmaus Road, and we looked at how we can bring consolation to the disconsolate with the resource of our journey. And then we talked about living, the man by the pool of Bethesda. He looked at the different aspect, we looked at the different aspects of our lives, uh, our day-to-day choices, our inner thoughts, the feelings um, and feelings and, and life that we find in God. And then we talked about healing the woman at the temple. The all-knowing God, whose grace is sufficient for every need, turning setbacks into springboards, deepening our relationships with him in the process. Now, this is a journey that we're on together. And I believe this is a season for our church that we become a, a, a body of believers who truly love God with all of our hearts, with everything within us. But then that love is manifest in our relationships with one another. We care for one another, notice one another. We say sorry when we disappoint and upset one another. We forgive one another. We have a culture that is life. We need this culture in the church because the world needs to see a love that is different from the love that is out in the world. Not based on what we can get, but based on the love of Christ and what he's done in our lives and what he can do through us and towards one another. When God awakens your heart, it's, it's like you've been standing and just looking at the floor, looking at the ground. Your, your vision is so limited, isn't it? As you look down, you can see just what's before you. But somehow, God comes along and he puts his hand under our chins and lifts us to see a bigger picture. His grace, his love, his mercy towards us. And we start to see life through different glasses, through the mercy of God. That we've been changed, we've been transformed by the power of God. And when that happens, we don't look on judgment on other people because we stand in judgment if we do. We look with a care and a love and a compassion and the knowledge that the same mercy, the same grace, the same love of God can be experienced for everybody else, even in the difficulties that every one of us goes through. We start to see things differently because we stand in the mercy of God. In Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, I love Romans 12. I read it frequently. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. We've been singing about this. Leave behind the old way, the old life, and walk in the newness of life, in the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us that Jesus made that payment for us. We were once in a perilous place, separated from God by our sin. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin deserves a wage. It's a work that deserves a payment. And that payment comes from God. And that payment deserves death and it deserves hell. But the gospel tells us that Jesus made a payment for us. If we acknowledge our sin, if we confess it, if we turn from it and confess him as Lord and as Savior, for all of our days, that payment becomes effective in my life and in your life. By God's grace, mercy, we've been pardoned in the courtroom of heaven through Jesus' atoning sacrifices. We've come to the cross and we've crossed over into a new kingdom of life, a new way of living. Have we crossed over? Have you crossed over? Are you wavering between two opinions? Or have you said, yes, I'm living for Christ. I'm living the new life, the victorious life in him. Do not conform any longer. What does it mean? Stop sinning. Stop living as the world lives. And start living as Christ would have us live. He took the initiative. He brought you and me out of darkness, out of slavery to sin, to wash you, to clothe you in his righteousness, and to set you on a right path. And having understood the mercy of God, we're urged to do the only thing left for us to do. To lay our lives down. To offer ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. Not conforming, not being squeezed any longer into the world's mold. Into the earthly passions. But transformed as we embrace Jesus Christ. And see things from his perspective. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Now we've been learning about journeying together as a body, a people who love God and love one another, a people who experience the transforming, the life-transforming power of God in our midst. But God also calls us to take this gospel beyond the walls of this building and to impact those people in our wider community. This, our final paraclesis theme for today is connecting. Taking what God is doing among us, rejoicing in, in it, embracing its fullness, living in the good of it and taking it to a hurting and broken and needy neighborhood around us. 
but it starts with your journey. I can't journey with you if I haven't come to the cross myself and if I'm not going on with God. There needs to be life in me. There needs to be life in you. There needs to be life, making right choices, living for God, people of prayer, people of the word, a people of fellowship, a people of worship, a people who truly engage with the reality of the risen Lord. He's here with us now. He's speaking now. Glory to God. Our passage uh, today is, is in Acts 3, and I'm starting at verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gates called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have... I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then taking him by the right hand, he helped him to his feet, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Glory to God. We need a bit of this. We see two stories coming together. The story of a man's brokenness. And the story of two people with new life in Christ. Peter and John decided they were going to go up to the temple to pray. They're going to a prayer meeting, which is due to start at three o'clock. And they just arrived at the entrance uh, to the temple. And at the same time, another man had made plans for his day. And his routine for many years was to be carried by his relatives or his friends to sit outside the temple gate and to beg for money. This man's over 40 years old, we hear later on in the account. And this has been his routine for many, many years. People recognized him. People knew the man who would sit and beg. And I wonder how many people engaged with his story over the years and really got to know the man. The truth is he was a social outcast. He wasn't permitted to enter the temple Uh, People would uh, often just uh, give him money more out of a sense of obligation rather than than, uh, care for that person. From birth, he'd been unable to stand or to walk. And his disability is bad enough, isn't it? But also to be marginalized through religious traditions. That's not good either. There wasn't really much going for this, going down for this guy. It's just a sad tale, daily going and waiting 
outside the gate. But almsgiving was recognized as something that was... Uh, that the religious people would do. They would give him money on the way in. So he'd found a good spot, uh, a nice little earner sitting there for people come and want to uh, portray themselves as righteous and good or uh, fulfill the law in some way. They gave him money because it served their purpose and made them feel good. So dependent on other people, this beggar represents one of the lowest have-nots in society with no dignity, no self-respect, no self-worth, despised and pitied. He begged because he had little choice. He was completely dependent on other people. Peter and John, the other part of this story, had quite a different story, didn't they? They were on fire with God now, with the Holy Spirit with the gospel, the good news of salvation, Jesus' name burning in their hearts. What was just another day to this crippled beggar as he sat there was God's appointment. God was going to meet with this guy. The beggar needed money to survive. He thought this was his real need, but God saw the man's real need. And he had the two people just for the job. I believe, you know, as you hear this account... I want you to realize that you are also God's man and God's woman for the job. Full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the expectation of God in our hearts. The living Christ. As we come across the the, the needy and the hopeless and the helpless. We are God's answer. We can bring that life to other people as well. Our journeys with God will bring us across people who God wants to put across our path. Are we ready? Are we awake and ready for those opportunities to share this good news with other people? And Peter and John look at the man and said, look at us. Now the beggars obviously think him a lux in here. Signs are that they're going to give me something. But there's more than luck on his side, wasn't there? On this day, God noticed him. God didn't forget the man's years <coughs> of indignity, of suffering, of neglect, of pain they'd been through. And Peter and John didn't have any money on them, but they knew something of far greater worth than money. You know, we bring the little we have. But we have more than we think (laughs) in the Lord, don't we? We might have little in resources, little talents, little giftings in many ways. But where does the power come from? Where does the gifting come? Where's the resource coming from? It's from God. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And they say, what I have, I give you. Peter knew he had something of infinite value. Silver and gold would pay for the bills. But as I said at the start, we have the source. We have the true one who we need for all things, all resources of heaven. What I have, I give you. Now, Jesus told the disciples many, many times about their need for the Holy Spirit. He told them in Luke 11, verse 11, 
He says, how much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This word ask, you know, we, we ask, you know, sort of ask for, a, you know, pass the salt or ask for something else, don't we? we? But this word ask means so much more than just asking something in that way. It means to earnestly desire, to crave, even to beg for something. How much do we need and want the Holy Spirit? Do we hunger and thirst for him more than our daily bread? He told them, didn't they, to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And the prophet Joel spoke, didn't he, about the coming of the Holy Spirit. In the last days I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. God pours out his Spirit and this is for today. John the Baptist said, one who's coming after me is going to baptize you with fire in the Holy Spirit. And the gift wasn't just for the apostles for then. Look at Acts 2 uh, and verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, and for all who are afar off. And all whom the Lord our God will call. Does that include you? Includes every one of us. We need the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, I don't have time to to read these verses. There's so much, but I encourage you to to look up some of these scriptures uh, yourselves. Ephesians 1, and, and, and read verses 15 to 23. And Ephesians 3, 14 to 20. Read these verses. We need a revelation We need our eyes opening to what we truly have. And Paul prayed this. He says he knew that we need our eyes, the eyes of our understanding, to be enlightened. We need to see. We need to hear with spiritual eyes and ears. We have this incredible gift. And what a gift it is. And we need to be filled and filled again and again. Leave our life of sin. Live a different way with the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if you and I want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to catch fire, folks. We need to be filled. If we want to reach people in our community, I've said this so many times, you're not going to forget this. God will pour in his love by his Spirit. We don't work it up. He pours in by his spirit. It's his resource, his love, his ability in us and flowing out from us. This is the gift that we can give to others. Yes, our transformed lives, but our transformed lives with the living Christ today, alive and active in and through me and you. In Romans 1 verse 15, In the New King James Version, I think in the King James Version, it it expresses it the same way. It says, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you. (laughs) In other versions, it says, I'm eager. I just love this phrase, as much that is in me, I'm eager to give you this good news. How much of God is in me? I'm sorry, but so often there's not enough. But we need to be continually being filled and energized by the power of God and his spirit in our lives. Please, let's not run on empty anymore. 
Are you born of the Spirit? Are you filled with the Spirit? If so, you've got something to give away. Do we realize what we hold in our possession, what we have in our possession to give away? Psalm 51, verse 11. Jesus, uh, David cried out, he said, Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He was desperate that despite his sin, that God would take away the Spirit from him. Don't take your Spirit from me. This was his deepest cry from the depths within him. That he's sinned, he's defiled God in so many ways. He's been idolatrous, he's been a murderer, he's done so many things. But his desperate cry is, don't take your spirit from me, Lord. He had seen what had happened to Saul. The spirit taken away and he was tormented throughout his days. He needed and we need the Holy Spirit active in our lives today. Esau despised his birthright, selling it for a bowl of lentil stew. It seems strange, doesn't it, to anyone that anyone would do such a foolish thing as to sell your birthright for a bowl of stew. But are we any less foolish than that? Do we value the things of this world, the things that we can have for ourselves, the passions and the cravings of this life, more than we do the gift of God, of the Holy Spirit? What are we hungry and thirsty for? Where's our biggest craving, our biggest desire? I challenge you with these things. I challenge myself with them. I'm not just talking to you. I I do challenge myself with, with these things. We need the Holy Spirit. But where's my appetite? What am I really hungering and thirsting for? In our series, Journeying Together, we've talked about our resource for the journey being the experiences of our life, the healings that take place through the most desperate circumstances that many of us and all of us have have faced. We've identified areas in our own lives um, through the small groups when we've attended them and uh, and that. We've, We've seen areas in our lives where there's been brokenness and hurt and difficulty in our own walks. And we've seen these things as a resource for our journey that in our pain and in our difficulties we can come alongside others and comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received through God and through his spirit. I'm sure Peter's journey with Jesus enabled him to come alongside others who felt they'd failed God and let God down. This beggar would no doubt be able to relate to others who are suffering with debilitating disease and disability. However, We mustn't forget our greatest resource for the journey. The powerful name of Jesus. The promised gift of the Holy Spirit. The powerful work. Both in us and through us. This man's been totally healed of physical disability. He goes into the temple rejoicing, dancing before God. And then in verse 11, it says this, While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were were astonished and came running to them. Can you just see the picture? This man, totally healed, now takes a hold of Peter and John. He's so grateful for his healing. 
And I can imagine Kanye as, as Peter starts to address the crowd, here's this man, and he just puts his arm around him and loves him. And he's talking to the crowd with a visual aid now. Look what God has done for this man. And Peter doesn't turn everyone's attention to the man or to himself. But he goes straight to the Lord. It's God who's done this. It's the fact that Jesus is alive today that this has been able to happen. This healing has taken place not because I'm so good and I'm so able, because God's done a work in my life. I know there's people here who've struggled and who've uh, been delivered from alcoholism. I know there's people here who've been delivered from many, many uh, sicknesses and diseases, from depression and from rejection and from all manner of things. God has healed you and brought you through in a wonderful way. This is, the, this is the power of God. And this is what we want. This is the testimony. It wasn't me and my hard work. It was in my weakness and my need of God that he came to me and he delivered me. And he set me on a rock and he's, de- he's brought me through into new life. If we stop at verse 10 of this account and just look at the healing, we miss the heart of this message. The reality that Jesus is risen The power of Jesus' name and the life transforming of his spirit, as I said before. Last time I spoke, I mentioned a guy called Andrew Murray, who wrote uh, these words in 1893. He said, how is it possible to have Jesus himself with us and never to know it? And how possible to preach and listen to all truth about Jesus himself? and yet not know him. How is it possible to come to a meeting like this and for me to speak to you and for us to have this time together and worship him and not realize that the living Jesus Christ is standing right in our midst now. He's interested in your life. He wants to hear your prayers. We've heard a number of prophetic words given in this church to people about people who are trying to push a great big boulder up a hill. The the troubles of this life and the the work that you have to do, even for the Lord. Or the things that you're carrying that just need to be passed on to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to realize our weakness and our need of God. To let go of these things and allow God to take the strain. To trust him more than we trust ourselves. In our weakness, let him be our strength. Let him be our enabling in this life. And Peter asks the crowd a question. He says, why does this surprise you? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I think I'd be pretty surprised. But there's a reason why I'd be pretty surprised. Maybe I just don't believe enough that Jesus is right here. That's why I'm surprised. I hope I won't be so surprised in the future. I, I hope that each one of us will see and experience the living Christ in such a way that this will be the normal Christian life. To see these things happening. That this isn't just the supernatural, the supernatural living, but normal Christian living. To see the work of God active in our midst and in our lives. It's, the answer is simply, it's, it's impossible for any human being to heal a middle-aged man who's been crippled from birth. 
whose legs are just like matchsticks because they've never borne weight. Little or no muscle there. This was an incredible creative miracle that God did to strengthen his bones, to create muscles supernaturally, and to be lifted on his feet, and not only just stagger around in weakness, but to dance. This is the power of God. A creative, wonderful miracle of God. And as we walk with others, they should experience not just the natural man, but they should see the power of God at work in me. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. People smell a phony. And they recognize the real deal. People, the Bible tells us that we have a certain smell, an aroma, a fragrance that spreads everywhere through those who, uh, of us who believe in the Lord. 2 Corinthians, verses uh, 2 to 14 tell us this. It says that, uh, that we're the fragrance of life to those who are perishing. And as we, uh, as believers, uh, speak to people, it's in the knowledge that God is present in that conversation as we speak to other people. This means that we don't act differently in the church than outside in our workplaces or with our neighbors or with our families or even in our homes. I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. You're a new creation in Christ. If Christ has come into your life, you're a different person. You're a new person. And you can live a different life, a different way. You're not a phony. (laughs) Because you have the living Jesus Christ transforming you, just as he's transforming me and changing me. And you know, living this out in the world can be so difficult, can't it? We can't live one way as a believer, another way in the world. We need to be the real deal. But that means that we face practical challenges in the world, don't we? In the workplace, you know, many times you're asked to do things. So you might be asked, for example, to, uh, if you want to go on the, uh, the works night out. Who's been asked to go on the works night out? And the works night out can sometimes be, well, you know what I'm saying. It's not always a positive experience, shall we say. And in those moments, we have a question of conscience to ask. And everyone's situation and circumstance is different. But are you going to be true to the living Christ? Are you going to make the right choice and do what you should do in those circumstances? Be light and be salt. That might mean saying no, it might mean saying yes and being different there, but you have to make that choice, that decision. What about a close relative or friend that you love so dearly? They decide maybe these these new civil ceremonies have come out, haven't they? Uh, for, um, for, for, For heterosexual marriage. And they invite you to their civil ceremony. Or perhaps you have someone who is, in, is, is getting married and they're a same-sex couple. And you've been invited to the wedding ceremony. 
There's a question of conscience that we all have to answer. What do we choose to do? These are questions that we need to answer. We love them dearly and we accept them. And we want the best for our friends and our relatives' lives. But we still have questions of conscience that we have to answer, don't we? The boss who instructs you to do something dishonest, how do you respond? Are you going along with the request to do the dishonest act or are you going to explain to that boss? Do you know what? The reason you trust me is because I love God. And I, my character is at stake if you ask me to do something dishonest. I've been faced with that situation. I'm sure many of us have. have. Sometimes we make wrong choices and we perhaps uh, are fearful in those situations. But allow the Holy Spirit to give you the strength and the ability in these circumstances. You're given the wrong change in a shop, maybe. And you notice, what are you going to do? Are you going to say, how blessed I am? <laughs> and walk away and think, praise God. Or are you going to say, actually, you've given me the wrong change and recognize that actually, when the tills counted up, they might be in trouble if you hadn't done that. There's no end of moral choices that we make on a daily basis as we journey through life. And we're exhorted not to conform to the world, but to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The old has gone, the new has come. You know, as we do travel through this world, we journey with people who don't yet know the Lord. And we need to know the boundaries, don't we? Because if we can compromise our belief with those who need to see an example and someone who's expressing salt and life, is that going to help them to come to know the Lord? You know, we might not always have the world smiling at us, but my desire is always to have God smiling at us. And, and as I said before, this doesn't mean that we sometimes get things wrong, we make wrong judgments, but we live this life, as I said, right at the start, in view of God's mercy. I stand as someone who's a sinner, saved by grace, by the love of God. And I cannot cast judgment on any other person and other people's ways of life. But I can show them the grace and the love and the mercy of God and salvation that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The journey that he sets us on, a new way of living, And when uh, Peter stood there with this man, he, he showed them, he spoke to them the truth of the gospel. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power and godliness we've made this man walk? Verse 12. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate, though, you decided, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this by faith in his name, in the name of, of Jesus. This man who you now see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can now see. It is Jesus' name 
And it's that which comes through his name that's made this man whole today. It is Jesus' name that has come to me and brought wholeness and healing into my life. It is Jesus' name that brings wholeness and healing in your life as well. Jesus is the name we honor and worship and praise and glorify. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. I've said this before, repentance is good news. It's a cry of God who holds out the offer of a new beginning for all people. And that includes you and it includes me. It's a promise for those who repent that your sins are wiped out. Your sins are wiped out completely. You will experience times of refreshing. Repentance brings you new life. Refreshing life. I'm not saying you don't have hardship and difficulty, but I'll tell you, you can have the joy and the, well, the sense of well-being and rightness in your heart with God, even through the storms of life. And it also says, you hasten the day when Jesus returns. You're repenting. You're turning to God. Makes it, hastens the day when Christ returns. This great hope that Jesus is coming back. <coughs> we should live in the light of the knowledge that Jesus is coming back soon. This is the hope that we have. Jesus is coming back again. He's risen from the dead and he's coming back. And when he comes back, there will be a judgment of the living and the dead. But those who know the Lord Jesus Christ will be with him in glory forevermore. I will be with you always. We will be with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something to really glory and praise God for. I've said enough. <laughs> I hope you've been encouraged. I hope we've been challenged in some way too. But let's just bow our heads and pray and give our hearts afresh to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, if you've never ever received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, and you want to know the forgiveness of your sins, if you want to know that, that Jesus can wipe clear the slate, all of your sin, and set you on a new path with times of refreshing, then I want you to pray also to invite the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. So let's just bow our heads and, uh, and, and let's uh, give this to the Lord. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your presence with us this morning. Lord, you've spoken into our hearts. And Lord, we, we don't want to harden our hearts any longer. But Lord, we come to you now. And we confess our sins to you, every one of us. Lord, we come to you and say we have done so many things. There's been so many idols in our lives. The things of this world perhaps have taken their place above our desire and our love for you. And we're so sorry. And Lord, we choose to turn away from our life of sin. And to embrace you. And to invite you into our hearts and into our lives. We confess you as Lord of our lives. We confess you, Lord Jesus, as Lord 
in our hearts even now. Lord, forgive us and set us on your path. Lord, in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray as well that you will fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit and you will be the resource of life for our journey. From this day on, continue to fill us anew with your Holy Spirit, that in our weakness, in our inability, you might be our strength, that we might be salt and light in this world, a fragrance of life to those who are perishing. Lord, we ask it now in your name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.